Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Do you want to learn how to find more work? The work that you really want? Want to improve your marketing? How about your brand? Want to work on that? You want to build a sales system or a profit plan? Or maybe you just want to work on building better habits. We've got you covered inside Entree Architect membership. The Entree Architect Expert Training Webinar Archive has dozens of 60-minute training videos ready for you to download and view at your convenience. And members receive an invitation to a new live webinar training every month. So monthly training, full access to all our business resources, and a private member forum full of entrepreneur architects powered by Slack. Come build a better business with hundreds of your fellow entrepreneur architects and me inside Entree Architect membership. Enroll now, free, for 30 days. Give it a try at EntreeArchitect.com. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. And this, this episode right here is episode 250. Yes, it is, 250. And this week, I'm with architect Katie Hutchison, the author of The New House, and her latest book just released, the new cottage. And we're talking about how to take your great idea for a book and get it published with a traditional book publisher. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more at RCAT.com. 
FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work that you love. And Revit Rocketship. Learn Revit the fast and easy way with a powerful online course developed by the guys over at F9 Productions. From first-time users to seasoned pros, Revit Rocketship will show you how. Katie Hutchison, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks, Mark. It's uh, it's good to have you here. It's uh, let me just remind people who you are because you were here about a little over a year ago. Uh, Katie Hutchison is an architect based in Warren, Rhode Island, not too far from Roger Williams, where I went to university. Um, and she has over 23 years of experience in residential design and is uh, the author of the best-selling book, The New Small House, published by Taunton Press. She's a sole proprietor of Katie Hutchison Studio and provides design commentary to shelter magazines such as Fine Home Building and design blogs, including her own design blog, which is a great blog, House, House en- Enthusiast. So, Katie, it's great to have you back. Thanks for coming, and uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Great. Thanks so much, Mark. I appreciate it. Um, before we get into, because you have a new book, and that's what we want to talk about. Um, before we do that, I want to, uh, there are many people here who probably are listening who did not hear your first episode. You were here back uh, just over a year ago, episode 179. This is episode 250. Um, and uh, you shared your origin story then, but I, I'd like to do it again. So so could you go back to where you discovered architecture? What inspired you to become an architect and share that story of your journey to where you find yourself today? Um, sure. So I, I wasn't, um, and as I mentioned before, I wasn't one of these people who always knew I wanted to be an architect, um, you know, who was early on playing with blocks and decided, yes, this is what I want to be. Um, it was something I kind of came around to after journeying through um, other endeavors. So I'd say I'm pretty much a generalist, really. Um, and so I started off my you know, professional life in magazine publishing. Um, I was an English major, and um, which I think obviously makes sense now to the fact that I'm writing uh, some books. But the um, the architecture part was something that I had kind of in the back of my mind. I had always been interested in um, fine art, you know, in drawing. I was mathematically inclined. I'd say my first spatial interest was really in sailboats, uh, sailboat interiors. And that's really just because, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have experience uh, growing up sailing and my parents had a cruising boat. So I do remember when I was young, you know, sketching boat uh, yeah. designs and interiors. But really, you know, that was kind of it from the beginning. I did take and this continues to amuse my family. I did take one of those tests in high school, <laughs> you know, a vocational kind yeah. of app test. And it told me I should be an architect. Um, and I was pretty convinced I was going to be a writer. So <laughs> I just kind of backburnered that concept. So um, it wasn't uh, until actually I you know, went through school, got a degree um, as an English major, and then went out into the world into magazine publishing um, that I realized that there might be this whole other pursuit <laughs> that... Um, would hold my attention. I mean, I was looking for something to do for a lifetime. And, um, you know, as a young person looking around the other people working with me in the magazine, 
when I looked at what they were doing, I was kind of like, huh, you know, that's maybe not what I want to be doing. Yeah, right. So I, you know, to me, architecture seemed like this big um, unknown that it might take me a lifetime to begin to master. And I think actually I was onto something with that. So I decided, you know, I'm going to switch gears. Um, so I went back to school to study architecture. I went to RISD and uh, I went from there and I, and especially in residential design kind of caught my attention from a first job that I had, which was not in residential design. Um, I had a first job in corporate, um, really corporate interiors, I would say. And I, I'd gotten out in uh, the recession out of school in 92. And I went to work um, for this corporate interiors firm, very small scale in Providence. And one of the architects there had kind of a sideline of doing the occasional single family residence project. And uh, this was back in the hand drawing days. And I saw a set that he had created, um, you know, in one of the firm drawers. And I was just fascinated um, by the residential details and the scale of it. Um, and so I decided that, that I really wanted to do whatever I needed to do to kind of redirect um, into that niche. So that was a little bit of a, a transition there. Um, and then I just kind of, um, you know, started working for some small scale uh, residential firms in New England um, and, you know, eventually got my license and with the goal of, of one day going out on my own, um, which I did back in 2002. And then so you became an art. So you started your own firm in 2002. And yeah. when did when did the books start? When did you realize that that what you started with is sort of. It, Cause it's very interesting. You have a very interesting life. It's, it's, you have this sort of portfolio life where you, where you're a designer and a photographer and an architect and a, and a writer and you have all these things and they all, and you, and you sort of have them all, uh, intertwined. And so yeah. how did that happen? was that intentional or did this just sort of happen because of your path? I think, you know, like, like most people's careers, you know, it, it goes the direction that suits your personality and your interests. And for me, I have multiple interests, I guess. Um, and they tend to overlap. Um, so I, I kind of just kind of naturally, uh, use one to enhance the other, um, and go back and forth between them. Um, I'm not, I'm really not satisfied doing one thing all the time. Um, and I'm kind of constant, like my current, like I'm becoming more and more interested now in fashion design. So I, think, I think you just, um, as you go through your career, um, and explore design is such a big, big, um, topic. And there are so many branches to it, um, that, you know, hopefully you're, you'll kind of follow the path that's of most interest to you. And that might mean, you know, not doing just one thing. Um, and kind of overlapping multiple interests. Yeah. Do you, do you think it takes courage to do that? Do you think it takes courage to sort of, you know, uh, branch off into the different, you know, sort of following your paths that you sort of have this interest and I'm going to follow that path. Like you said, fashion design, I, you know, knowing you and your, and what you've done in the past, I, you know, I could imagine a Katie Hutchison fashion line, you know, (laughs) you know, so I, I mean, does it, does it, do you find that it takes courage to sort of follow that path rather than just stick with what you know works? Well, you know, I wouldn't say it's courage. I I think it's just um, wanting to do what you want to do. It might just be more about um, persistence, I Mm -hmm. guess. 
and um, maybe drive. Um, but I, I don't know that it's particularly courage. I just, you know, there's, you only have one life uh, yeah. and a lot of time, um, you know, the older you get, obviously, the more you realize kind of how precious the amount of time is. And um, you, you, you want to make sure you've, you've taken a stab at the things you want to do. Uh, it doesn't mean they all pan out. Yeah. Uh, but I guess it's just more interesting to try. Um, but I don't know that it's particularly courage. It's just kind of what, you know, what drives you, what motivates any particular individual, you know, to pursue what it is they want to do. When you, when you pursue a path like that, and um, do you ever sort of look at the possibility that, that it may not work, that it may fail and that, that because you need, also need to make a living. And so that takes time right. to pursue a path. And so yeah. is there any sort of concern that it, it may not work? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I think, you know, the amount of resources or time you put into it uh, would depend on how confident you are or aren't in what might become of it. So, um, you know, in my case, because I'm a sole practitioner um, and I, you know, I take certain types of projects, ideally, um, I do, you know, I have, um, I guess, fluctuation in types of work. So like, for instance, right now, I'm not writing a book at the moment. I just finished a book. So now I'm transitioning more towards commissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, if, if I see an opportunity to do another book, then I'll try to do you know, maneuver my schedule to make room for it. So there's, there's certainly planning and, and knowing that, um, you know, you need contracts, whether they are for books or commissions, you know, to have some security that whatever you're going to do is not right. venture, you know, something like this new, I just happened to mention in passing this, this new idea of fashion design is something that I can back burner and, and kind right. of do. Uh, you know, in between the nooks and crannies, you know, it's not a, a big upfront, um, you know, expense. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you choose carefully. Um, you know, for me, it's really largely a, a scheduling challenge um, and how to make sure you flow from one venture into the next without a big gap um, or not having to do things that are, you know, too big overlapping. Um, that's more of the challenge, I would say, than the other. Yeah. So, so the the previous book was the new small house. The new book is the new cottage. Um, and so you were talking about sort of how um, when you when you're when you're writing a book, you sort of bring down the architecture in in your schedule, and you bring up the the book writing. Um, yeah. And so. So it's sort of like seasons. So you sort of you're doing architecture, and you say, okay, there's there's a book on the horizon. You start looking at a schedule, put together your schedule, and then you know that your projects will, your architecture projects will sort of finish up, and then you can start bringing up the 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 book work. Um, yeah, I, go ahead. I can't the uh, commissions completely pause just because yeah. you know uh, the income from one of these contracts for a book is not, is not huge. So I do need, um, small, something small mm-hmm. <laughs> art commission wise going on while I'm doing the book. I just need to make sure that whatever that is, isn't too big, um, or isn't uh, requiring too much of my time. So it's more kind of, um, you know, if there's an opportunity to work in a project gauging how large I think it is and how much of my time it might take and what would slot in well with the book, um, there is a period of time on the book where I really can only do the book, but, but there, I can't go that whole time only doing the book. 
uh, because I really would not be eating. So, yeah, so it's, uh, it's tricky, you know, um, some thus far is, is worked out okay, but it is, uh, you know, I do write an elaborate schedule for myself once I start a book contract, um, to try to gauge the amount of time I'll be doing various tasks, you know, that lead up The, the one advantage that I think is helpful with any book contract that I've had thus far is the amount of, um, the work, the deadlines are, uh, parsed out and divided um, across time. So it's not like you go from getting a book contract to then getting a due date um, for the whole content. And then you would have to figure out, you know, how to make sure within that time frame you've done everything you need to do. There are multiple deadlines. So as soon as for a book, so as soon as you meet one deadline, the next one starts. And that actually is super helpful, I think. Um, in kind of helping to make it happen, to make sure it gets done in the ultimate time frame that you set out to do it. Can can we go through that process? Because I you know I think there's probably a lot of listeners who have an idea for a book, they have no idea how to publish it, and now there's opportunities to publish with a publisher or self-publish because now pub- self-publishing is a is a fully accepted you know easy thing to do. So there's a mm-hmm. choice there. But let's go. Your books are all published by um, Taunton Press. Um, Correct. How did you get hooked up with Taunton Press? And then could we go through that process of you're working in architecture, you know there's a, a book coming down the line, you start to you know, put together the schedule, and then what is the, the process of going from an idea to that finished published, published book, which officially was released yesterday as of this recording on December 5th. Yesterday was December 4th, 2018. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I've I've only done the two books, so it's not like I have this huge amount of experience, but I, I do have the experience from the two books, both of which um, have been from the Taunton Press. And as you mentioned in your intro, um, the Taunton Press does publish fine home building, um, and they do fine woodworking and a variety of other magazines. And that's really how I got introduced to the Taunton Press, both as a reader, you know, reading fine mm-hmm. home building. But also, I started um, writing for Fine Home Building, uh, geez, I don't know when it was, but quite a while ago. And the way I started was um, I pitched uh, an idea, and Fine Home Building is and has been, I believe, still open to pitches you know, from architects um, and others, designers, um, of topics, you know, stories. And so I had pitched a story i think my first one was about shed dormers and uh i had pitched that to taunton and they ended up using that in one of their annual houses issues um which is a special issue that they put um and so that was kind of a was a fortunate entree into working with them uh you know in the magazine side of the taunton press and so i would then um for a while there, I did quite a number of their drawing board columns, which they yeah. actually have. I remember that. That's yeah. actually where I discovered you. Yeah, right. Yeah. So they had columns for ages. Um, and so what was convenient for me about that was, uh, you know, I was talking earlier about schedule workflow. Um, if I had a small gap in my schedule, I would, I would pitch a story. I was like, all right, well, I'll pitch something to find home building. And I had uh, an ongoing relationship with a series of editors there that made that possible. You know, once you have done one, you know, you know that editor and you, you kind of understand the process and you could pitch again to that same person. The, fir- the first time it was a cold pitch? 
Um, the first time it wasn't completely a cold pitch. I also had a friend um, who worked for a different publication at the Taunton Press. And so I kind of I think I sent it in saying I'm a friend of so and so magazine, you know, so I think that kind of it certainly helps if you can, um, you know, I, again, I don't know. I've never been on their the magazine, their magazine side of it, like how many of these pitches they get or, or whatnot. But um, I'm sure that helped. That, yeah, you know, I'm sure. And, and with today, with social media and our networks that we have, you know, all these connections, it's probably not hard to find somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody <laughs> to make yeah. that introduction for you. Yeah. So I, that was my friend, uh, Susie Middleton, uh, who worked at Taunton. She's a cookbook author. And at the time, she was a magazine editor with their magazine, Fine Cooking. So, you know, that that is a that publisher, um, the Taunton Press manages, you know, several magazines and they share a common office or at least they used to. Uh, many of the magazines are in one complex. So there's a lot of overlap of the mm-hmm. different the different people there. And and then so so you you pitched that that magazine article you wrote several articles then how did the book happen when when you decided okay I want to write a book how did how did that introduction happen oh yeah so same thing as I had done all those magazine articles and I thought well you know it's not that big a leap to go from doing this series of these articles to pitching a book um so based on again you know they knew who I was from those articles they did have a meeting with me um years ago about um pitch ideas for books um so this would have been in like 2007 or so and um so I went in and and met uh some of the book people who I had not met before you know I'd only been dealing with the magazine people and um, did like a brainstorming session with a couple editors there. Um, and we actually, the concept that came out of that original meeting was a book um, that was going to be, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like um, Small Retreats, uh, Backyard and Beyond. I think that was the working title. And um, we were going to work on that. That would have been my first book with them. So did you go into that meeting with that idea or through, you just said you wanted to write a book and then you worked with them to come up with a topic? I think I had a list of ideas and, um, my ideas, I find my ideas have been in general, often one step more complicated (laughs) than, (laughs) than actually what's, what's, um, more easily marketable. And so, I think I pitched a couple ideas, you know, uh, that were that they had they felt from a marketing point of view would be harder for people to wrap their heads around. So when we had this discussion, I had recently done a little retreat um, in someone's backyard. You know, we were looking through my portfolio. And so they had seen this one that I had done, uh, which had actually had been published in um, Cottage Living magazine. And another one of my favorite magazines. Yeah, I love that one. (laughs) That was too bad that that one didn't stick yeah. around. So they saw that little structure and they were like, well, what about these? You know, what if we did a book of these? And then so that's where that idea had come from. And then the um, recession in 2008 um, kind of threw a monkey wrench in everything. So um, my book contract, though written um, at that time, had not yet been signed by the publisher. 
Um, so we had kind of jumped through all the loops. It was sitting on the publisher's desk to be signed. And then this is in 2008, um, in one fell swoop, many books on the docket there got killed at once, um, including that one. So that never came to pass, but it did, uh, lay the groundwork for, um, later on when I did the, um, the new small house book. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, RCAP, FreshBooks, and Revit Rocketship. For years, when I needed information on manufacturers' products, I headed straight to Google. And then I sifted through the hundreds of results to find the one or two that might be the link to the product that I'm looking for. And more often than not, That link was not what I was seeking. It was outdated or didn't meet my requirements. So I went back to the search engine and started all over. This could take all afternoon to find the one or the two or the three products that I needed. Does that sound familiar? I'm sure it does. There is a better way. RCAT.com. Find what you're looking for in seconds. Building product information, BIM, CAD, and custom specifications using their exclusive tool, SpecWizard. And keep it all online in one place using their cloud-based project organization tool, Charette. So make RCAT a part of your efficient project workflow. Just type entrearchitect.com slash RCAT so they know that you came from us. Put that into your internet browser and add it to your favorites. And then visit RCAT for every project. Find what you need fast and make more money on every project. EntreeArchitect.com slash RCAT. That's EntreeArchitect.com slash A-R-C-A-T. Our friends at FreshBooks have been supporting us here at the Entree Architect podcast for a long time now. They've been a platform sponsor for well over two years. So thank you, FreshBooks. So you've heard me talk about FreshBooks a lot here at the Entree Architect podcast. Every episode, in fact, for quite a long time now. But did you know how FreshBooks actually was created? How it came to life? Well, it happened when their founder, Mike, accidentally saved over an invoice. And he kind of snapped. He was using Microsoft Word to bill his clients. He had studied accounting at school, but found that every accounting software on the market was built for some other business, not for him. He was frustrated. He wanted something different something better, something that was designed for him, a self-employed professional. So he built it. Today, millions of people use FreshBooks, and on average, FreshBooks customers save about 16 hours a month. 16 hours a month. What could you do with an extra 16 hours? Getting started with FreshBooks is ridiculously easy. Most people send their first invoice seconds after starting their free trial. And the same goes for time tracking, managing expenses, collaborating with contractors, and viewing financial reports. So give FreshBooks a try. It's free for 30 days. Just visit EntreeArchitect.com FreshBooks. And then let them know that we sent you by sharing Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's EntreeArchitect.com FreshBooks to access your free, unlimited 30-day trial. Revit Rocketship is a new online course developed by our friends Alex Gore and Lance Psycho over at F9 Productions. They're the guys from the Inside the Firm podcast. 
Their new online course will get you up and running with Revit fast and easy. It's completely different from anything else available online. You're going to learn how to model in Revit just like it gets built. And you won't even need to start from scratch. Alex provides you with a complete ready-to-go template to get started. It's the actual Revit template that his firm, F9 Productions, has developed over the past decade and uses today. He'll walk you through their proven method of developing a Revit model and end up with a completed set of construction drawings that you can use for your portfolio or reference when you develop your next project. Revit Rocketship is based on years of experience using the software and teaching Revit at the university level so they know how to get you up and running fast and easy. I love that Alex and Lance are sharing their knowledge and I want you to check out Revit Rocketship. Register today for Revit Rocketship at entrearchitect.com slash Revit. That's entrearchitect.com slash R-E-V-I-T. RCAT, FreshBooks, and Revit Rocketship. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So the recession sort of killed that first one. Recession sort of put a hold on everything in terms of books. And then when the, when the, was it, you know, I want I want to still write a book. You, you know, the recession is sort of past. Then you go back in and pitch again. Yeah, I think, uh, yes. And, you know, I, I didn't take too big a pause in pitching, you know, I, I waited, uh, a little bit of time. A week you know. or so. Well, no, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know that I waited three years. You know, I, yeah. I waited a time yeah. and to come up with some fairly complicated pitches. Um, and they humored me and they met with me about a couple of them, actually. Like we had a couple sit downs about some of these more complicated pitches. And um, it, those always tended to just be like, OK, well, we'll, we'll think about this. And then that would just kind of go quiet. Um, and so then they actually contacted me about um, the new small house uh, instead of me contacting them. Mm -hmm. And I, I'd like to think that's because I had been <laughs> pursuing them. Yeah, so, you were hustling. Yeah, and we'd, you know, we'd had so many meetings. It was just hard to believe that none of them were panning out. Um, so finally, um, they already had uh, a, a title, The New Small House, on their list um, as a book they wanted to do. Um, and then they had had um, a potential author who maybe is the person who actually pitched that title, um, who had a health event and could no longer pursue um, that title. So they were looking for an author and they contacted me. Um, so that was one of those, you could say it was a happy accident. Yeah. The groundwork laid for that. Um, so, yeah, so that that's what got me going on the first one. And then how long did it take you to sort of go through the process for that first one before it was published? Um, so, I, you know, for both of the books, you know, it's like just like an architectural project in some ways. You know, you know kind of in a way an end date. Like when when does this thing need to go out for construction, right? Yep. And backwards, you know, uh, from that time frame about when you need to start, you know, doing schematic and when you need to submit for your permits and so forth. So... Um, if you know you want to come out for a Christmas season, um, which is what we've done for both of these books, is then you start subtracting out time mm -hmm. 
Um, and so they, you know, my editor, Peter Chapman at Totten, was very familiar with this process and how long it was going to take. Um, he's worked, he's been, I just learned this recently, the other day, he came to my launch event for the new cottage. He's been working, I believe, at Taunton for 28 years. I think that's what he said. And he said he had worked on at least 500 titles. Wow. Maybe 750 titles. So, you know, it's just so much experience. So he knows how to do it. <laughs> yeah. And so he was going to introduce me to the process because he knew I was completely green. Yeah. And so really the one who figured out you know, how much time do we need to set aside for this? So he, um, he set those in between deadlines. Well, I think, um, he told me I would need, um, you know, from point A to point F, <laughs> uh, that those would be my, my beginning to start. And then I would need to divide up in thirds, uh, the deliverable content and assign dates. So within the overarching big window, yeah, I would need to figure out what are my deadlines for for delivery of these different. It's actually like five components. Um, and so with him giving me the overall parameters, then I divided it up. Um, and you know, again, having not done it before, one thing that I didn't understand, which I understood better the second time, one of those components that you deliver is a photo shot list. Um, so after you've selected all the projects that are going to be the case studies in this type of book, um, you, um, if you're fortunate enough, you're hiring some photographers to shoot new photography. Um, sometimes you're acquiring existing photography. Um, but in the first book, we shot a lot of new photography and you need to identify for the photographer what are the required shots. And so you create shot lists for each of the shoots which describe every shot you want um, in detail. Um, what is the angle? What is the subject? What is the distance? Um, and, and the reason you're doing that is you want to make sure that whatever it is you want to talk about is adequately captured. So you, so the, the shot list and the photography happens after the, the initial drafts, so you sort of know what you're going to be writing about before you shoot those photos? No, the shot list happens like almost like it's one of the first things that happens. So you uh, choose all the projects. That's obviously the first thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's only after you've selected all those projects, the next thing you do is the shot list. Okay. So the kind of the armature or the outline for at least those projects you're shooting. It doesn't include the ones where you're acquiring uh, photography that's already been shot. Um, but for those projects that are being shot, the shot list is, I really think of it as the outline of, yeah. of how right about the story. So, so much upfront planning, um, and concept for, you know, what you want the book to both look like and contain in terms of content goes into that shot list. So that was in the first go round. I had never done a shot list before. I actually didn't know what a shot list was. So that was, uh, intense. You know, that was quite a learning curve right there so are you when you're preparing for that are you doing like sketches of of pages and how you want the book to be laid out and that kind of thing no we're so not yet um and again it's different I, I don't want to speak for all yeah yeah and it's all your experience yes yes. yeah so and they have an art director mm -hmm. so um and an art department 
and freelancers that work for the art department. And they um, are responsible for laying it out. So what they're doing is taking the shots that you've described that are then captured Mm -hmm. and um, they're laying it out in the page. But, you know, from my point of view, you know, it's these books, certainly um, from Taunton, these design books, they're very visual. And so it's um, incredibly important that um, the shots capture what I, the quality of the structure, or the details of the structure that I want to talk about. Um, and I also, you know, I have you mentioned I'm also a fine art photographer, so I, I do, I guess I could say I, you know, we visualize, you know, photos, right. you know, pretty naturally. And so, um, I can kind of imagine, you know, the different shots, uh, even though I'm not there and I'm not getting them. Um, and so that is the visual part that I'm contributing, but the art department is actually laying out the book and is responsible for the graphics. So is the shot list a narrative? Um, it's, it's uh, for me, I mean, I think they're all different, but for me, yeah. So I'll say shot number one, you know, the photographer is standing in this specific location, mm-hmm. shooting low, capturing left to right, this or right. that you know, distance back, um, angle. So I'm, it's very, I get super specific yeah. and it doesn't mean that the photographer's locked into that, you know, so I have had some photographers where I get some feedback where they say, okay, well, we're standing here, you know, on site. Yeah, and it's not looking the way you want it to look. <laughs> At this moment that's in, you know, high contrast and some of that is going to get washed out, you know, yeah. so I would rather do X and that's fine. Right. But I, like to provide them so before they do the shoot ideally they're look they read these over and then um you know make adjustments uh but you know it can be disappointing if if a shot that's on the list gets cut um because a photographer it's like well at this moment um that isn't going to work so i'm going to do this other shot uh so what we encourage is that they complete everything on the shot list and then add Right. Uh, so even if it's not going to work in their opinion, you still shoot it. Yes. And then I can also see, well, maybe we could crop to get this thing that I want or whatever. So it, obviously it's different when you're on site in person doing the thing than it was for me, you know, writing it out for my desk. And, and it's, it's sometimes it's fun because the photographers will, will see something I wasn't even aware of about a project. You know, they'll be like, Oh my God, we just went in the back garden. Right. And, the back there's this back entrance from the alley you know and i was like oh god i didn't know that you know so great let's capture that um but it's just a, it's a good armature at least to start with are you ever present for those shoots i am for in the beginning just a few that are in new england um because i can get there yeah. um at the beginning of both books we try to do a few shoots um that where i'm present um, because not, it's not, has, it's not always the same photographer. Um, and you kind of can get, if it's a photographer who's going to be shooting several projects, um, you kind of get familiar with right. you know, style and expectation. Um, but I'm, I'm not there for the bulk of the shoots. Yeah. And then, so once you have the shots all done, then you write to those photos. So, um, those photos need captions. So I write to those photos in terms of the captions. Um, the actual content, um, is, is different, you know, so the content, um, you know, like in both of these books, they have a similar armature in that I describe 10 
design strategies that I highlight throughout both books. They're different designs. And so each uh, case study, what I'm focusing on is communicating how that particular cottage in this book um, expresses the 10 characteristics that I want to highlight. And so the captions will reinforce that. And so that's I am certainly writing to the to the photos in the captions, but the the actual body of the um, text is broader um, and is trying to also tell the story of the individuals, you know, um, the homeowner uh, and and also getting feedback and quotes from the architects. So there's there's kind of a broader storyline going on in the main body of the text. Right. Okay, that makes sense. So you sort of present present an idea. You're you're in the book, you know, the new cottage, you're presenting an idea in the text using the case studies to sort of reinforce your idea with interviews with the owners and the architects. Yeah, yeah. So really, both of these books are are targeting, um, you know, a general reader and um, trying to make design and residential architecture accessible. Um, So in both books, that's why we kind of came up with these concept of let's have these 10 points or these 10 strategies that we want to both inform the reader about and use to inspire them about how these different projects, these different case studies express these, these strategies in different ways. What are some of the, we don't have to go through all the strategies, but just as an example, what are a couple of those strategies? Um, so I have a little cheat sheet of my 10, uh, strategies for this book in front of me. Um, so in this one, we're calling them cottage characteristics for today. And they range from the broadest strokes are kind of organized in the way an architect might address them. So the first one is engaged with site. Um, and the second ones demonstrate human scale. Then they talk about communicate simple massing. So they go from kind of the big picture whittling down um one in the middle is offer informality um then it gets a little trickier here consider opposite compliments which is um that was a fun concept actually to introduce into a general reader book because i think it's something architects are familiar with but less so general readers and then the the tenth one i'm kind of skipping down the bottom is shape craft detail so they kind of run from the large larger scope down to the detail uh, and try to come up with language that is kind of easy to wrap your head around. And then we have these little visual, we call them icons, these little symbols that represent each of the 10 um, strategies. And those little icons appear in the captions as they did in the first book. And the idea is to try to create like a a, a quick um, reference, visual reference to provide basically a shorthand for the reader of these 10 ideas so they become more familiar with them and begin to recognize them more easily in the photos. I love it. It, it, sounds, uh, it sounds a lot like uh, a pattern language. In a way, yeah. 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 So, the, and, you know, I think pattern language probably had 10 big patterns, you know. Yeah. These are like 10, you know, nuggets, 10 <laughs> little strategies um, that kind of, uh, go through each case study instead of kind of trying to show one case study per strategy yeah. or something. Um, so, so it helps, it helps someone who, um, loves those cottages. They look at a photo or they walk through a cottage and they love it and they don't know why they love it. They just love it. And, right. and so your book sort of educates them on why they love it. 
I'm hoping so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And because it went, when you see the book, you know, this is one of the other important things to me was that the book have a stylistic range. Um, you know, initially, th this was another title, The New Cottage. This was a title that came from the publisher. This was another one uh, that they proposed. And um, in the beginning, my concern was, well, I'm not interested in doing a book, a book that's strictly focused on nostalgic cottages. Um, so for me, I wanted to define cottage very broadly and include a stylistic range um, and have this variety of cottages of different size and style and location sharing um, characteristics um, that make them all kind of qualify in my mind as a new cottage. So someone looking through the book, it's going to be interesting to me, I think, the feedback of, you know, there is some much more contemporary stuff, some more traditional stuff, um, and obviously from different parts of the country, you know, any given reader, to me, I love all of these cottages, of course. Um, you know, some readers are probably going to gravitate towards um, some rather than others. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of, I, I would like it if, if, say, someone who picks up the book strictly prefers traditional architecture. I do hope that they would look at some of the more contemporary ones, you know, having gone through looking, you know, you know, reviewing their traditional ones to see what they have in common, you know, to see that they yeah. share the same characteristics, even though they're stylistically different. Yeah, I think it'll it will expose people to styles that they may not have thought they liked, but you know, by looking at the ones they they know they like and then seeing that there are other styles that have similar feelings, um they may be, you know, exposed to uh, styles that they that they that they actually do like. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. I mean, for instance, you know, I know that my artistic taste has evolved in terms of fine art. You know, I would say I, I started off life as a fan of representative art, and um, I am now very taken with abstract art. And I know some people, um, you know, are strictly belong to one camp or the other. And I think my evolution to an interest in abstract art evolved over time. Um, and I, I would kind of think and hope that maybe the same happen to a reader with respect to traditional and contemporary architecture. What's your favorite part of writing books? Um, you know, part of part of what I like about writing the books is the people. Um, and that's kind of the unknown. When, when you set out to do one of these books and you choose these case studies, uh, we're choosing them for design reasons. You know, they meet these criteria that we have together agreed is what we're looking for. Uh, but we don't know who owns these cottages or in, in the previous book, the small houses, when we you know, kind of sign them up to participate in the book. And one thing we ask of anyone who's going to be have their home featured in the book is that they participate in an interview. You know, I kind of want to tell some of their story. Uh, and so I only meet them once we get to that stage where we've scheduled an actual call with the human who has put the project into action. And um, it's, it's just been delightful talking to the people. Um, who own these cottages or in the previous book, the small houses and are, are thrilled with them and kind of want to share them with an audience and have had, you know, they've all had a positive experience um, or they, they wouldn't have kind of ended up um, into such a great project and, and it wouldn't have ended up submitted to the book. Um, and so they've, they've just been a delightful group of people. I've always, for both books, I've wished I could have had some kind of event where all the homeowners and of yeah. course the 
as well, you know, could get together and <laughs> each other. Uh, Cause I think they have, there's a lot of overlap, you know, I think um, it'd be very interesting for folks to meet the other people in the book. Yeah, I think so too. I think, I, and I think cottages, cottages are a very special type of building. It's, it's, um, there's lots of life that happens in cottages. Yes. Um, and, and you mentioned that the magazine Cottage Life, that's the reason I love that magazine. It's not really about the buildings. It's about the people who have those buildings. Yes. Um, yeah. my, my mom and dad have a house or cottage on, on the St. Lawrence River, all the way upstate New York, right on the river, yeah. facing west. Um, every night, there's a massive sunset across the river. Um, we spend three weeks up there every summer. It is the best memories of our life as, as yeah. my kids grow up, as, yep. as, as my, you know, me as, as my, uh, a father and a son to my mom and dad, that when you think of the best memories of my life, they are in and around that cottage. Yeah. That's and it, wonderful. And it's just this little fishing shack, you know, yeah. it's, it's, but it's so special to to me and my family and my mom and dad. They spend their entire summer up there, right, and right. it is. And, and I know that that's what cottages are all about. It's about it's about the people who are in those cottages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And so when people are shaping their cottages, you know, to suit their family, you know, sometimes they're trying to evoke um, a feeling of a different cottage. You know, like for instance, this right. one family. Um, or they're trying to start a new tradition, you know, for their family. So the decisions that they're making about, you know, where their building sits um, on its site and how it's formed are, they know, is important because they want it to carry forward across generations, typically. Yeah. And, and tradition is a very good word. I mean, that's that's traditions are built around these little buildings. Yes. Yeah. It's such a great topic. Um, how how do we how do we buy one? Because I'm going to buy one for my mom because she will love it for Christmas. Well, you so. can buy um, certainly on Amazon, um, uh, and you can buy them, you know, a lot of, you know, at least locally, I've been pitching them to my independent bookstores. If you went into your independent bookstore and, and requested the title, I'm sure they would get it for you. Um, it's at Barnes and Noble online. It's at Powell's online. Um, but certainly Amazon is one of the easier ways to get it. Great. It's the title is the new cottage. The author is Katie Hutchison. No N in there. It's H-U-T-C-H-I-S-O-N. Um, go grab one before Christmas and go give it to somebody who, who you love because I think it's, uh, it's one of those books that I think people would really appreciate getting and would cherish. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Mark. You're welcome. Um, before we wrap up here, um, I would like you to answer the one question that I ask everybody. Uh, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Yeah. You know, and I think last time you asked me that, I said, you know, kind of get connected with your community. Um, and I, you know, I guess I hate to plug social media, but but one of my favorites is Instagram. Um, so if you're not on Instagram, I would recommend that you get on it as a firm. Um, it's, it's more informal, I find, than some of the other ways that architects promote themselves. Um, and you obviously, it's a way to connect not only Locally, you know, that, that are already kind of in your circle, but with a large audience. Um, I always prefer you know, in person um, type of connection, um, but this might be the next step. <laughs> yeah. 
doing things in person. You know, everyone's on, well, you know, Facebook is having its own issues, but, um, you know, people have websites and blogs, you know, there's so many different um, forms of social media, but I find, at least for me, that Instagram is kind of um, one of the more fun um, and most accessible of those that are out there. So if you're not on it, get on it. If you are on it, think about maybe different ways of using it um, to kind of tell your story and show your particular eye, your vision, your way for looking at the world and for looking at perfection. Yeah, I agree. I Your Instagram is KHS Instagram. So everybody should go over there and follow. <laughs> it is an, It is a great, it's one of my favorite feeds because um, you are a great storyteller and you tell great stories in your books and, your, and the magazine articles. But in the photography that you do, it's not just a photo. Every photo that you shoot and you post on Instagram, you you can see that there's a story behind that photo. Oh, I that, Mark. Thank you. Yeah. And so I definitely recommend everybody to go go follow uh, Katie at KHS Instagram. And yes, while you're there, you know, I hear so many architects saying, well, why do I do that? Why? What's the point? I'm never going to get a job from that. So what do you say to somebody like that? Well, you don't know. I have to say a lot of times you just don't know um, what might lead to what. Um, But I also don't always do something with that end goal. I I don't know that I'm that. um, I don't know. I don't know. That seems kind of more plotting than I I think you should, uh, you know, experience the world and capture what of it interests you. And, and it might inspire a project you're working on. It might just give you an idea about some creative um, thought or pursuit. I guess I don't always think of point A leading to that person calling you up to hire you. I feel like it's more organic than that. Yeah. Um, It's about building relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And also it's just satisfying doing it in your own right. I guess I feel like anything you do, you should not necessarily do it because it will get you something else, but because the thing itself um, is satisfying. Yeah. And I think of all the social media, I think Instagram is the one that does that best. It's, it's, uh, it, because it doesn't allow you to link to other things. It's, so right. it's, it's, it's all about you making the world a better place through each photo that you post. It can be, yeah. I mean, also it's very fun who you who you choose to follow, what what they post. So, um, it, it's it is you know it, of the social media, I would say it it's the one that I prefer. Yeah. So uh, KHS Instagram on Instagram. Um, the website is Katie Hutchison. Or again, no N. Uh, KatieHutchison dot com. Facebook is Katie Hutchison Studio. Uh, Twitter is Home with Katie. And on YouTube, you can just search her up. Katie Hutchison Studio. You'll find her there. Uh, Katie, thank you very much for coming back and sharing your story and talking about books. Um, I really appreciate it. I always love talking with you. And uh, thanks for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate your interest. And I'm thrilled to have been on for a second time. So this is episode 250. If you like this episode with Katie, please share this episode with a friend 250. So this is entrearchitect.com slash episode 250. And while we're at it, at 250 episodes, I want to just thank you. I want to thank you for coming back week after week after week and spending some time with me and learning from our experts and learning from people who are sharing their knowledge every week here at Entree Architect um, podcast and for sharing this episode, sharing all these episodes. Entree Architect is growing in every 
every area of our platform. Our blog is growing. This podcast is growing. The newsletter is growing. Our membership is growing. Um, and the Facebook group, the Entree Architect community, is exploding. We are right at 4,000 members. I, probably by the time this airs, we're probably over 4,000 members. They're all architects or architecture students. It is a private membership uh, group in that Facebook group. So if you want to be in that group, come on, hang out with us. EntreeArchitect.com slash group. Just request membership and pop in there. So we're growing everywhere. And, 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 every, and it's all because of you. It's because you um, like what I'm doing. You like what the Entree Architect community is, is saying. You like the culture that we've built around the Entree Architect community of sharing, of loving one another and caring for one another, uh, sharing with one another, uh, and learning from one another. So, you know, you hear me at the end of every episode, love, learn, share. That's what this community is all about. And I thank you for being a part of it and for, and for, uh, for growing it. So thank you. Um, I'm not going to get too deep into the membership. I want you to join the membership. The membership will change everything you're doing. There's resources in there. There's videos. There's live training. There's, there's um, all our resources in there. Our digital courses are in there. Um, and a great community of architects who are working together to build better businesses. And we want you to be part of it. So go check it out. It's free for 30 days. You can jump in there for 30 days, check it all out, watch all the videos you want to do, download all the resources you want to do. So go check it out, entrearchitect.com, right there on the homepage, entrearchitect.com. Go try it out. Uh, I think you'll like it. My name is Mark R. LePage, and I am an entrepreneur architect. I encourage you to go build a better business because that's how our profession is going to thrive by each individual architect building better businesses. And when you do that, you become a better architect. You do the things that you love to do better. You have more time, more resources, more money. Go do it. Go build a better business. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening. And thanks for being here 250 times. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. 
And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.